How are y'all doing? That's good. We'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, so we did our life group on Friday night, and it was super fun. Uh, our life groups, all we're doing is talking about the message. And so the first question is uh, that we always ask at the, is like, what did you like or what stood out to you um, on, on the sermon? So whenever you ask, like you have a group and you ask that question, it's one thing for like a different leader to ask that question. Whenever I'm asking the question to my group, I'm like, so what'd you like about my sermon? <laughs> you know, so this is just about my ego, you know? Uh, and so in my group, they were like, nothing. And it hurt my feelings. So um, I do not have those. Um, so no, they, they like things. Um, so uh, I was... This past week, I was as I was studying for this, um, somebody asked a question. I, I don't know if I saw it online or on a TikTok or something, but they were like, what about people that die before Jesus was born? Like, how do they get to heaven? If Jesus is the only way, how do they get to heaven? Or what about people? And you know that tribe in Africa that everybody talks about, that they've never heard the name Jesus. If everybody talks about that tribe, why doesn't somebody just go to that tribe? Like, then we can go tell them about Jesus. Um, we're supposed to evangelize, right? We know that. We know we're supposed to tell everyone about Jesus. But what about the people that have never heard about Jesus? How do they get to heaven? Well, um, there's a thing that the Bible's very, very clear on. First of all, we know that God is just, right? The easiest way when someone... Has anybody ever asked you that question or has it ever come up? Like, what happens? What, what about those people? If somebody asks you that question... People have asked me that question a million times, and I always say this, for the very simple answer is, God is just. God is right. God does what is right, and he is, he is perfect in every way. So if somebody asks you that question, you can just say, I know that God is going to do the right thing in the end, no matter what, right? We know that. But if you have a little more time, you can explain to them that the people that were born before Jesus was ever, ever walked on the earth, they too had the gospel preached to them. How, you may say. Let's look at it. In John chapter 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word. When? In the beginning. Not in the middle. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The Gospel of John, like John is about to tell this story about the God who always was, the, about this Savior who always was. He was in the beginning, and in the first five verses, John d doesn't even say the name of Jesus. He's the one, he's like, the one that I'm about to show you is the Word and the light, he is, has always been, and he has been the word and the light for all eternity. He has been actively speaking to human situations, to, into the human situations all throughout history. Jesus always has been. And John's saying that this God who always was is now breaking in and he is becoming flesh. That God that was clearly visible in the Old Testament he is now becoming flesh so that we can see him. And now he has a name, and his name is... I'm going to give you another chance, though. So it's okay, because y'all weren't ready. He, he now has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And this Jesus has been encountering people all throughout. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul, or chapter 3, um, Paul says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. How was the gospel preached to Abraham? If Jesus wasn't there, there's a story in Daniel where they said that Nebuchadnezzar says, wait, didn't we put three people in the fire? How is that fourth one that looks like the son of God in there? Jesus was there. Jesus always has been and he always will be. And he is he is still encountering people today and he's still whispering in human hearts like I'm the word. I am here. And the, the light, I love this, in the New King James Version, it says that the light, the light, uh, the darkness could not comprehend. The, it says, in the New King James Version, it says, could not extinguish. The, the darkness could not extinguish the light, that message that always has been. Does it feel like our times are getting darker? 
If, if not, then you are not paying attention. Um, our times are getting darker and, the, and, and darker, and the darkness is still trying to extinguish the light. But you know what the problem is for darkness? You. Like, you're the problem. You're a light bearer of God, and you are getting in the way of darkness overtaking your neighbors, of darkness overtaking your workplace, of darkness overtaking your family. You're in the way. And the great thing is that darkness cannot overcome light. Period. In John 1 9, he says, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. No one is left out. Every man coming into the world from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time has the opportunity to see the light. The word is in them. It's not about reciting a prayer to have a relationship with God. It's not about, um, it, it's about believing in the one who was sent and about repenting and running toward that God. And for, you know, we talk about walking the aisle, and we talk about getting saved. When I got saved, for, for many, the mom- they had this moment of salvation, and then they started walking towards Jesus. For some, they prayed that prayer, and nothing was different until they started walking towards Jesus, and then things started to get different. You had this... I promise they're loving on your kids. That's it. That's a safe sound, like it's normal. Um, for many, they prayed that prayer of salvation, and then they felt like nothing's different in my life. Nothing's different. But then they had another moment later. Like maybe you, maybe you did that prayer when you were in VBS when you were a little kid, and nothing was different. But then when you became a teenager, you got to be an adult. Something changed in you, and you turned towards God like you never had before. That was the moment of repentance, and that's when it, Jesus became real for you. So John's telling his backstory of the Savior. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, like, he's, he's describing this God as Word and light. And then in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. The one who has been actively pursuing, pursuing human hearts all along, all throughout history, has now become flesh. And we call him Jesus. And we get to, to have a relationship with that God. And we know what he did and how he lived because we have Jesus. And so the last verse for, for this part is Deuteronomy 30. This is like, this blows me away. It says, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. The it is the word, it's the commandment. And he says, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven and bring it to us? Uh, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word, Jesus, is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. The word always has been and always will be. The word is today active and alive and will speak into whatever situation you're in right now. Right? So, John chapter 7. That was like bonus DVD material the bonus section on the DVD, okay? So um, I, gotta, I have to give you a little warning about today. Um, I'm going to challenge you on how you see Jesus, and I hope, I hope and pray to make you a little bit uncomfortable, okay? <laughs> you always pretend like you want to be uncomfortable. Um, so John shows us um, in, in, in chapter 7, he shows us a few interactions with people who don't believe, and they have these different issues with Jesus, uh, and this allows us to see where we are with our belief and our trust in Jesus. Um, they had trouble with his, his timing, the way that he did things. They had trouble with the method, his style. They had trouble with the message that he brought. They had trouble with his identity. And it was, it's just beautiful because I love it because it's, it's so uncomfortable. Whenever we look like, Man, those people were so stupid. And then I see myself and I'm like, wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> like, I'm doing that. So uh, let's get some context. Very important that we get context. So we have... The, it's called the Feast of Booths. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 7. If you want to follow on the app, you also can follow on the app, the, the Version Bible app, because it's really easy to do. So you have the Feast of Booths, or also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. They were uh, those that um, feast, all the feasts were celebrated in Jerusalem. And so this feast in particular was they were remembering when Israel was in the Negev desert and they were, uh, they were wandering for 40 years because uh, God's people were in Egypt for 400 years and they were 
They were enslaved, and then God sends Moses and this supernatural. Y'all seen the Ten Commandments, the movie. Y'all seen it, like the part the Red Sea. Y'all seen the movie, right? The old Charlton Heston movie. Like I, I heard a story about that movie. It was great. This has nothing to do with the message. But they had like they had like uh, five cameras, no four cameras that they were going to film this from all these different angles. And so they set the cameras up, and they were like, "Look, we got to get this on the first shot." It's very important. This cost a lot of money. And this is old school special effects. It's like, it cost a lot of money, so everybody be ready. So they get the, the first guy. They're like, all right, they, they do the thing. And they're like, all right, camera one, did you get it? He's like, no, some water splashed up on the camera, and it, and it ruined it. So like, all right, so they go to camera two. Camera two, you got it, right? And they're like, no, the camera fell over when the wind started blowing. And then, and it's like, and then they say, oh, no, camera three, you got it? And then they were like, no, the, the, the lens cap was on. And he's like, what? The lens cap was on. And then they're like, okay, it's okay. That's why we did four cameras. So they're like, camera four, you got it? And he said, ready when you are. <laughs> See, that's why I don't tell jokes. You're either going to laugh or you're not going to laugh, okay? Don't kind of laugh. Thanks. <laughs> so anyway... This miraculous, the God's people go across the Red Sea as if it's dry ground. And then Moses, he takes them to Mount Sinai. And then he goes up Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And then he comes down. He's like, what are y'all doing? Like, why are y'all being so rebellious? And so uh, they're, they're disobedient. And whenever I read those stories, like, I'll think, man, how could y'all? Y'all just came through. The Red Sea, as if it's on ground. God miraculously delivered you. How could y'all be so stupid? And then I think, wait a minute. If those people could see us now, they would be like, how can you live the way that you live and not celebrate God in every single moment? Because your life is so easy. Like, your life is so good. How could you possibly turn away and rebel? Like, how is that possible? And you still do it. If, if, see, you, you ask that about them, and they would ask the same thing about you. Like, how, right? So they rebelled, and they complained, and then God says, you know, you, you're not going to enter. This generation will not enter the land that I promised to your fathers. And they lived in tents for 40 years. Intense for 40 years. Also intense. Um, it, was, it was very intense. Um, they lived in tents for 40 years, and they're wandering around the desert. And the crazy thing is they were never, in all of that 40 years, they were never more than 10 days travel to the promised land. And they were still just wandering around aimlessly in the desert. And he provided, God was incredibly faithful to them because even in their rebellion, he provided them food and water and manna and quail. He, he took care of them. And so we, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, maybe in your Bible, says to remember, it was there to remember the time when they weren't faithful to God, but God was faithful to them. And the people would stop everything that they were doing, and they would build a tent right next to their house. And then during the festival, they would stay in that tent. And they would, they would, uh, they would be celebrating God's faithfulness. Feasts were a really big deal in the Hebrew culture. Any male that lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem would have to, they had no excuse not to go back to Jerusalem and celebrate that feast. And so if you live further than 15 miles, you, you would be required to go back once a year. And so Jerusalem would swell from about 100,000 people to between 500,000 and a million people. There was like a very, very huge, like New Braunfels on July 4th, okay? It was like very similar to, and so the town would swell and it would get really, really big. A lot of people would be there and uh, but it wasn't, when, some, when someone came, when, when one of the men would come, they wouldn't just come by themselves, they, their whole family would come because they did not want to leave their family to get robbed and murdered. So they, the whole family would come. So let's jump in. John chapter 4. It says, after this, I'm going to end it with robbed and murdered, and now we're going to read the Bible. So after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to, to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. They're saying, go down and, and go back to all of the disciples that you lost. If you remember last week in, in chapter 6, we were talking about how he challenged their theology. And when he challenged their theology, a lot of them left. 
because they were like, no, that's too hard. That's way too hard. We want the food. We want the miracles. We want that stuff. But you can't challenge, like the blood and the flesh and the eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's weird. Like we're out, like we're, we leave. And so his brothers are saying, why don't you go back and get those disciples that you lost? Because you were preaching that really, the feel good message and they really like that. They like the feeding and the healing, but this whole broken body and blood being spilled, like, no, man, go, go back and get your followers back. For a lot of people, it's all about the crowd and growing a big crowd. Look, for our church, I don't know if you've noticed, but I purposely am like trying to hurt your feelings so that the crowd doesn't get too big, you know, just trying to make sure <laughs> I'm not really doing it like that. But but look, it's it, it's true. The way that we do the way that we follow Jesus is hard. Like it's we ask for accountability and personal holiness. We ask you to follow Jesus closely. And for a lot of people, they're like, no, man, I just want the I just want the food. Like I just want the the healings. I want I want the easy thing. I want the 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 feel good stuff. Man, you are if you're sitting here and you're looking to feel good, it's you're not don't listen. Like it's just not a feel good message because it's just the truth. And if you go if you go to a place and and you keep hearing a feel good message, sometimes you do leave feeling good because it's just the truth. But so, most of the time, you look and you see your reflection in the Word, and you're like, this is hard. I don't know if I can do this. I get it. Like, this is not for everyone. For some people, they just they, they can't do it like this, and it's fine, sort of. Like, it hurts my feelings when people leave. So there, for a lot of people, it's about the crowd, and, and his brothers are like, stop hiding the things you're doing. Get out of these little villages. Go out and let everybody know because you're wasting your time here. Whoever, they're like, Jesus, whoever gave you this marketing plan? Like, this is not a good plan. We need to grow this business, and, it, and you're not doing it right. So they're like, you need to go back and do this. Crazy thing is, his brothers didn't even believe him. Like, they didn't believe in Jesus. They, they believed something. Obviously, you can't be around Jesus and see him feeding and doing miracles and doing all this stuff and, and not believe something about him. But they didn't. they knew that he could do good stuff, but they didn't believe that he really was who he says he was. Um, and there's a big difference in believing that Jesus is a good guy and believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's, you can't believe that he's just this insightful teacher, some spiritual, spiritual prophet. Um, the very purpose of John being written, this is like one of the only books where, where it says, this is why this book is written for you. And John says in, in chapter 20, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. There are people that believe good things about Jesus. They just don't believe in Jesus, and that's not a saving faith. You can believe whatever you want about Jesus, but if you don't submit your life to him, that's not a saving faith. That's just head knowledge. That doesn't get you anywhere. So in verse 6, it says, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. When he says, my time has not yet come, that's not, there's two uh, Greek words for time. One is chronos, and that's like a date, like six o'clock, that's chronos time. And the other kind of time is, is kairos. And kairos time, it means a moment in time, like my season, this time, for the time for me to go and, and speak to Pilate and be crucified, like this, that time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. He says over and over in the Gospel of John that my hour has not yet come, but he says, but it's always your time. Like, it's, it's always your time. You know, we want things when we feel like they will be most beneficial to us, right? And when, do you, when is the thing that you want, when is it most beneficial to you? Right now. Like, do you remember when you used to have to watch TV shows and you had to wait a week to see what happens? And you had to go back the next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Like you had to go watch it the next week and you, you, so you had this whole delay thing. But now if they do that to you on Netflix, you're like, like I had to watch the Mandalorian and I had to wait one whole week until the next episode came out. And you hate having to wait the week because you want everything and you want it right now because that's the best time is right now. God wants things done in his time because it's always connected to his plan for us. 
He wants things done in his time, not your time, right? So whenever you get off track and you, you're supposed to be going this way and then you go this way for some reason, even though you know you're supposed to be going this way, it's very clear you're supposed to be going this way and you're like, no, nah, I'm going to go this way. And you start going this way. God doesn't say, well, they made a wrong turn. I'm done with them. No, he recalculates your route. You've, you've used your GPS. It's very similar. Like when you miss a turn you, and then it gets you back to where you were. But the crazy thing is, I don't know how y'all are on road trips, but if I miss a turn, I'm going to make that time up. Like I'm going to drive faster <laughs> to catch up because I, the, the time that it says you're going to get there, that's just a challenge. Like I, I always try to see like how, how much further can I get in front of that time because I'm going to beat that time. Like I, I stop at Bucky's and I still get past that time. So, um, I'm, but I drive safely. I just want to be very clear. Y'all... I drive safely. I, I may drive a little, one or two miles over the speed limit, okay? <laughs> I'm kidding, Lord. You know. Galatians 4 or 5. Look, pay attention. Get, let's listen to the Bible. As soon as y'all start picking on me, I'm like, I'm done. Let's move on. Uh, so, but when the fullness of time, this is God, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons in the fullness of time is when it makes perfect sense in god's economy for something to happen this is how things should work and that's when it'll happen and so the struggle is that his time and your time is not the same thing and so we struggle with it we struggle with god's timing in our, in your life group this week you're going to talk about this is one of the questions you're going to have when uh can you look back on your life and see a time when uh, you are glad today that, that that prayer wasn't answered. Like, think about all the things you've prayed for. Think about when you were in high school, and you were like, can you just please make Becky Lou love me? Aren't you so glad Becky Lou never fell in love with you? Like, because she turned out to be a hoodlum too. Like... <laughs> All the things when you look back, you're like, oh, man, if I had gotten everything I wanted, like, man, where would I be today? Um, God is good. He is good. And things happen in his timing. Um, and so you, you continue to struggle with, like, I just want it now, Lord. I just want it now. There's a reason you don't have your own plane and your own Mercedes Benz. And, and there's a reason that you don't have those things. So you don't need them. So. They wanted Jesus' message to be nice and helpful, and they were telling him, they were encouraging him, go back and do the crowd-pleasing things. Do the stuff that makes everybody happy. Speak about compassion and love and hope and forgiveness. and ins- Like, speak the imp- inspirational things. Tell people they can be all that they can be. Tell them they can live their best life now and do all the good things. And, you know, and, you know if you will just preach the message that, you never have to be uncomfortable. You're always going to be at peace. You, you're never, ever, if you ask Jesus into your heart, you'll never get sick. You'll never be un- uncomfortable in your life. Everything will work out perfectly. Like, that's, that's what people are sold. Who would not want that? If somebody says to you, hey, if you ask Jesus into your heart, everything's going to work out for the rest of your life. Like, who's, who that doesn't know Jesus is going to be like, no, thanks. I don't want that. That sounds too hard. Like, no, everybody wants that. So we tell people, hey, come to Jesus, and you're going to have perfect peace for the rest of your life. And so people come to Jesus, and then something happens in their life, and it's like, wait a minute, this isn't perfect peace. And then they leave Jesus. They leave the church because this is not how it's supposed to be. I was told everything's going to be perfect. If we got onto an airplane, and I handed you a parachute, and I said, hey, wear this parachute. Everything's going to be comfortable. This will make your ride more comfortable. And so you get on, you have the parachute on, you're on the plane, and you're like, this is not comfortable. Like, you have to lean forward in your seat. People are looking at me, and they're laughing. This is, this is uncomfortable. Like, why? nobody else is wearing a parachute, or very few other people are wearing parachutes. Why do I have to wear this? This is, I don't like it. This does not make me more comfortable. And so you would take the parachute off, and you would leave. If, if we got onto an airplane, and I said, here, here's a parachute, the plane's going down. You would put that parachute on, and you don't care about how comfortable it is because the plane's going down. Listen, you're going go to go to hell without the parachute. You need Jesus. You need
need Jesus. And it doesn't make everything more comfortable. As a matter of fact, I can give you a promise. It's going to make it worse. It's, this life is going to be less comfortable. With you trying to do everything counterculturally, it's going to be less comfortable. But I can tell you this, there will be a supernatural moment, not immediately because you won't understand it, but there will be a moment where you can look in the middle of a struggle that previously would have just killed you. You'll be getting through the struggle and you'll say, wait a minute, I have peace and I don't understand why I have peace. It's supernatural. That doesn't come early in your Christianity because earlier in your Christianity, you're like, well, this, they told me it was going to be fun and this ain't fun. Like, this is terrible. This is uncomfortable. I, I need to take this off. No, it's not. It's hard. It's very, very, very difficult. Uh, but if you've been told you'll never get sick, you'll never be uncomfortable, you, you're, everything's going to be good. They lied to you. They lied to you. Because as long as you're in this flesh, things are going to be tough. And, but one day, one day you'll be able to jump out of that plane and you'll be safe. You've got a parachute. You're going to live. You're going to live forever. And it's, and it's going to be great. So the, the nice and comfortable and, and beautiful, that's the message that the church is supposed to preach, right? If you want to grow a crowd, like don't do it this way. Like if you want to grow a crowd, tell them about their, their best life now. Like tell them about how things are going to be good and peaceful and comfortable. I mean, you're lying. And, and I believe, I honestly believe those people aren't, the people that build a group like that, I don't think they're malicious. I think that they're, they're, they're trying to encourage people. Um, the Bible, more often than not, is not encouraging to me when I read it. It's very discouraging because I'm like, oh, man, I really thought I was doing good, but I'm not doing good. I'm doing real bad, and I need to, to work on this because the, the real task of the church is the gospel. It's the gospel. It's just the gospel. It, it's all about the gospel. The gospel is not a nice, feel-good message either because the gospel says, hey, you are messed up, really messed up, and you have to fix some things. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to just beat you up. I'm speaking to myself too. Like we're all broken. We're all messed up, and we all absolutely need Jesus. Not, we didn't just need Jesus to step into our life at one point and save us. We need Jesus today, all day, every day, to get us through. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the whole gospel right there. One slide, the whole gospel, and the world hates that message. The reason the world hates that message is because that message tells them they can't do it on their own. You can't save yourself on your own. You can't take care of yourself on your own. You have to be saved. And the cross was where God made sacrificial provision for my sin, and he gave his son to die. I have no access to that provision by being a good person or doing something nice. I received God's pardon provided by Jesus, by his grace, through faith in him. And as soon as I trust that, that he is who he says he is, then I have that salvation. I don't do any of the work. None of the work is on me. It's all on him. And I just have to say, yes, I believe it. I believe that you did that. And the world hates that message. The world's, the message that the world wants is this love and compassion. Can we just hold hands and sing Kumbaya? Because that's like, that's wonderful. The kumbaya has never helped you when, when your kids are rebelling. Kumbaya doesn't help you whenever you're struggling with that addiction and, and you need to be freed and you keep looking at it and you keep flirting with it and you don't want to give in, but you feel it drawing you closer and closer. Kumbaya ain't going to help you there. You know, dying is going to help you there. Dying to yourself. Crucifying your flesh. That's what's going to help you there. And so God decided that he would send his son to destroy your sin. And so the only time, the only time that sin has power over you is when you hand sin the keys and you say, all right, you're in charge. You don't have to. If you have Jesus, 
If you've asked Jesus to lead you, if you've asked him to save you, you he know, sin no longer has power over you unless you allow the sin to have power over you. And that's completely and totally up to you. If you don't have to sin, why do you sin? Why do you love sin so much? Because you don't love the results of sin. But you love the feeling of the sin for a very short amount of time. Why are you so short-sighted? I'm speaking to myself too. John 7, 7 says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about this, about it, that its works are evil. Our works can so easily deceive us. Um, and you may not think this is true. None of you, no one in this room would say, I think I can work really hard and earn my place in heaven. Nobody would think that. But this is what you do. You're like, you know, I'm a pretty good, if I ask you if you're a good person, if somebody asks you if you're a good person, like you think you're a good person. Everyone in here thinks they're a good person, right? No, you're like, no, I'm not good because you know the church answer. Like that's why. You're like, like, hey, are you a good person? Jesus I know Jesus is the answer. I don't know how that works. But we, like, you know, I'm out here. I'm trying. Deception will grab a hold of you and convince you that you are a good person. And so it's just like if you do a really hard, a really hard workout. At, after the workout, you're like, no, I'm going to eat this ice cream. Because, you know, I worked hard. I deserve it. None of y'all would ever do that. But, like, I've heard people say, you know, I worked out really hard today. And so I'm a, I deserve this ice cream. I, I've earned it. I, I've earned this little break. You do the same thing with sin. You're like, you know, I've been doing really good. I've been, I've been reading my Bible every day. And so, you know, I, I can balance out the scales. I'm, I'm, I do more good than bad. And, you know, I've been trying. I've been going to church. I've been giving. I've been, I've been doing all the things. So just a little bit of sin isn't going to affect me that much. A little bit of sin is never a little bit of sin. A little bit of sin turns into a lot of sin, and, it, and before you know it, like you will be down that slope and gone, and you'll have no idea, like how did I get here? I, here I am, way far away in the pig pen again. How did I get here? A little bit of sin. When you give into a little bit of sin, that little bit of sin will take over, and you will deceive yourself over and over and over, and the people around you that love you will call you out on it and you will get mad at them and call them like they're jerks. They're just trying to control me. You know, and you just, you'll do everything because you've, you've blinded yourself. You're, you're deceived. And those people love you. Another good thing about life groups, I'm going to try to get all of y'all in a life group. Like another good thing about life groups is it's hard to slip through the cracks. When you're part of a group, it's hard to slip through the cracks. And so get in a life group. goes on. You go up to the feast, his brother, I mean, Jesus says, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time is not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, Jesus sneaks up there. (laughs) Then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Every time I read that, every time I read that, where is he? I I read it in the Batman voice. So, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Answer this question. Who is Jesus for you? Is he a good guy? Is he a troublemaker? I can tell you in my life, he has caused a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. It's made my life very uncomfortable. He cannot be a good guy. He, Jesus either is everything he says he is, or he is nothing he says he is. He is either all, he is God's son, came to die for your sins. He is all of that, or he's a lunatic. Like you can't, you can't have sort of. Sort of a lot of times is like this filler. Like sort of this, sort of that. You know, like, like so, hey, are you hungry? Sort of. Yes, I am. I'm always hungry. But it's sort of. Like, sort of can mean everything in some cases. Like, if you say, I love you, sort of. That means something different. Like, if you add it, the whole meaning changes. Or if you say, like, you're going to live. <laughs> the worst one is, like, it's a boy. 
sort of. You can't sort of believe that Jesus is God's son. That's a challenge for all of us. You don't sort of believe it. If you are sort of believing it, you don't believe any of it. Like you're, you're, you're faking the whole thing. So, but if you believe all of it, if you truly believe all of it, why are you still living like you're living? Why are you still sort of living for him? Verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. It's funny to me that he sneaks in, but then he goes to like the hotbed of the number one place where everybody's at, and then he begins teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man is, has learning when he has never studied? It reminds me of when Jesus was 12 years old, and they're all, they're, they're going to, they're, they're going back home, and then it says for three days, like they're looking for him for three days. How do you lose a 12-year-old for three days? Like, I remember when my kids were 12, I would not leave them alone for three minutes much less three days, but somehow they lost. Can you imagine losing the Savior of the world? Like, <laughs> that's got to be some extra pressure. So uh, it says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Can you imagine he's sitting there at 12 and they're like, how do you know all this stuff? And he's like, I wrote it long before you were born. That's how. Uh, and, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So uh, his answer to them when they find him is like, why did, you, why did you even look for me? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Like the whole time growing up, they're like, Jesus, guess who your dad is? It's not Jojo over here. It's no, it's God. God is your father. And so he's like, d- d- he says, I must be about my father's business. His whole life was about his father's business. And they were amazed because Jesus taught as one who has authority and he wasn't part of their system. He's not doing the traditional thing where they would quote a rabbi, like the rabbi, my rabbi says this. He was doing it way different. It says, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Whenever somebody says to you, If you are a follower of Christ and you're in the Bible, whenever somebody says to you, hey, the Bible says this, and it doesn't say that, you immediately know. Like, you know. Even if you don't have, do any of you have the whole Bible memorized? Oh, just me? Okay. I don't, I don't. Y'all know I don't. So, but whenever something is not, when it's not right, you know. You just know. Whenever I whenever I own Chick Fil A, I would I've told you all this a bunch of times. Whenever I own Chick Fil A, and a counterfeit bill would come in, it would be awesome because I would be like, all right, cool. So I can I can show my guy. I wouldn't give the counterfeit bill to one of my employees and say, hey, look at this, study this, figure out all the ways it's counterfeit. Look at all the little small marks. I would just I would put it literally. This is what I, we would do. I would take a stack of fifty one dollar bills and I would slide that bill in and I would tell them to close their eyes and go ahead count it out. 100% of the time, they would stop on the counterfeit bill. Say, this is the one. This is counterfeit. When you know the real thing and you spend time with the real thing, you always know when the counterfeit comes up. You should be in the Word. Whenever the Word and you're in the Word and you're studying the Word and you're, and you're filling yourself up with the Word, anytime a counterfeit comes along, you're like, mm, that doesn't feel right. Something's wrong with that. that. That's not right. You don't have to study Mormonism. You don't have to study, you don't have to study all the, the other religions that are close but not quite. You don't have to, to study what, what uh, Muslims believe. Just study the real thing. When something comes along, when a Jehovah's Witness knocks on the door, you're going to be like, oh, come on in. Come on in. I want to show you some truth. Because when they say something that's off, you know immediately because you've been with the real thing. Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus is not seeking his own glory. He's not preaching the party line. He's not talking about the Sabbath and the law. And as a matter of fact, what he's doing is he's calling out the leaders all the time, constantly calling out the leaders. And he says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? 
the most, one of the most important parts of the Old Testament is the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, it says something about murder. I can't remember exactly. Like, I, I don't have the whole thing memorized, but it says something about murder. Oh, yeah, don't. That's what it says. Not sort of. It's don't murder. It's, don't, it's not don't sort of murder. Don't do anything with murder. Don't murder people. In chapter 5, what he's referring back to is in chapter 5, it says, this is why the Jews are seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling, his own, calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So in the beginning of this chapter, it says the Jews were seeking to kill him over and over and over. They were being hypocritical, and they were trying to kill him. And of course they deny it, like people do. It says, it says, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. They ignore the law. They completely ignore what the Bible actually says. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body, I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And in John 5, this is how he answered them. He said, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus was doing everything differently. Jesus was shaking things up, and they did not like it. Instead of doing the crowd-pleasing things, Jesus is like, look, y'all are messed up. Like, y'all have taken my Father's words, and you've twisted them, and now you are trying to have the power, and that's not how it's supposed to be. There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. And so for you, you have to decide, are you going to trust him fully, or are you going to live like you don't believe? And the message is hard. This is very difficult because I would be willing to bet there are areas in your life where you're holding back because you want the message to be the healing message or the happy message or you want the food or you want the prosperity or you want all the the good things. You want this peace. But what is it that you're looking for in Jesus? Are you dying to yourself so that God will get glory. Because that's what it's about. The reason he saved you, it wasn't for you. It was for his glory. The reason he saved the people around you was not for those people around you. It was for his glory. The reason he has called you to preach the gospel was not so that those people would get saved. It is for his glory. Everything you do is supposed to be for his glory. And the way that you can do that, the way that God can get glory for your life, is if you'll crucify your flesh and let sin die. And then you can live for him. That's what communion was about. We did communion last week, and it was about Jesus' body dying and him pouring out his blood so that God would get glory. All of it was so that God would get glory. And we struggle with the timing of when Jesus calls us to do something, and we struggle with the method, and we struggle with the message, and his message is too harsh. Jesus, could you just, could you be more inclusive? You just, it needs to be better because you know how many more people would come to church if it was easier? Yes, yes. I know people in our church have been like, I love your messages, but don't you think it's a little harsh? Yes, I do think it's a little harsh. I don't like doing it. Uh, y'all, why are y'all so mean to me? I'm nothing but nice to y'all. Truly, I, what I do like doing is uh, seeing your hearts change. What I do like is when you repent and you mean it. You start running after Jesus. I do like that. I don't like what I had to do to get you there. Like, I want to come to you and say, like when my dad used to give me whoopings. I know how hard it is. Um, he would say, look, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm like, liar. Let me whip you then. Like, it hurts. It does hurt. But when your flesh dies, of course it hurts. Of course. But it's worth it. It's worth it. If you don't believe me, ask somebody else. It's worth it. Many of our problems stem from the fact that we believe a lot of good things about Jesus, but he would never ask me to give up 
if if you and I were to sit down and I like give you some truth serum, is that a thing? If I were to give you something that made you tell the truth, and I said, do you know what it is right now that Jesus is asking you to give up? I'd be willing to bet 99% of you know exactly what that thing is. Why are you not giving it up? He said, come and die. He made it easy. He's like, come and die. Come to me. And the way he said it, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We're talking about the holy, sovereign God of the entire universe. And what he wants from you is your heart. I mean, he can have anything he wants, but what he wants is your heart. He wants you to to trust him. And so he's continued to, in your life, to whisper to your heart and prove himself to be worthy. Over and over and over and over, he proves himself to be worthy. He wants you to put everything else aside and just trust him. And when you truly trust him, the lens that you look through changes the clarity with which you see the truth. It's not going to happen by accident. You have to truly trust him. You can't fake it with any, you can fake it with all of us. You can't fake it with him. The only way to see it for what it really is, is to, to really, truly trust him. And when you trust him, the gospel message becomes beautiful. That he died for your sins to save you. He will take you and he will take your brokenness. He will take your ashes. He will take your loneliness and your pain. And he will redeem every bit of it. But it's not going to be easy. It's, it's this super, supernatural thing. And one day, we were talking about this yesterday. I used to have this pain in my shoulder. And every day I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, it hurts so bad. And I'd have to take me a while to get loose. And y'all know that, right? I mean, some of y'all are old in here, so... Like, you know these pains. Like, I, I ain't picking on you. Look, if you feel guilty, then it's you. So, uh, no, but look, you, you get these pains. And so I remember, I'm like, oh, man, this hurts. And so I remember waking up one morning and being like, my shoulder doesn't hurt. What happened? Why does my shoulder not hurt? And then I try to think back, did it hurt yesterday? No. It hurt the day before. When did it stop hurting? I don't remember when my, I'm healed. Hallelujah! Like, you know, like it's, a, I'm, it's good. Like, and and then I think about that's there's so many things in your life that that's exactly how God does it. Like sometimes you pray and like it's a supernatural deliverance. Like in the moment, you're like your leg was gone, and then like you pray and like boom, I have a leg now. It's amazing. Like it's just a supernatural thing where you're healed instantly. And then sometimes it takes a while, and and then you look and you're like wait a minute, where is that desire for that sin? Like, I don't have that desire anymore. Did I have it yesterday? No. Did I have it the day before? No. When did that go away? I don't know when that happened. And you weren't even praying for that thing. But as you submit areas of your life that you're conscious, conscience, conscious of, as you submit areas of your life that you're conscious of, God will deliver you in areas that you weren't even praying for. And you'll look back and you're like, wait a minute, where's that pain that I have grown so accustomed to in my life? It's gone. But the lens that you look through, it's only from you being submitted to him over and over and over submitted to him. And you look back and the pain's gone. Like It's just gone. You've been supernaturally delivered and you weren't even praying for it. That's how good God is. He delivers you from things that you never even knew were a problem. He delivers you, you from the problems that you forget about. And you want to go back to it and say, oh, that's the pain that I'm comfortable with. I know that pain. Let me grab a hold of it. Wait, where is it? Like, it's gone. That's how good your God is. He loves you that much. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, that you are, you are so loving. You go far beyond anything that we could ever imagine to even ask for. But you're good. We thank you that, that you have called us to come here to this town for this time for people's deliverance. That you call us to be people that are loving our neighbors into a relationship with you. That we have no motives except for your glory. That's the reason we live is to glorify you. We thank you that you continue to draw us closer and closer to you and you continue to to bring us uh, 
this peace that we can't even put into words. It's just a supernatural thing. Uh, and we're going to continue to pursue you and lay our lives down for you. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.